Welcome to the Yoga Therapy Hour podcast with Amy Wheeler. We're a global community of yoga therapists and related professionals who are sharing our knowledge and experience with one another to make the world a better place for all of us to thrive. On this podcast, we have deep and thought-provoking conversations that we hope will nourish you and make you feel more connected to yourself and to others. Feel free to continue these conversations on our private Facebook group called Yoga Therapy Hour Podcast with Amy Wheeler. And listen at the end of the podcast each week as we'll be giving away a special gift. Remember, we have a mobile app coming out May 2nd, 2022 that tracks mental health and so much more using the foundations of yoga and Ayurveda. Welcome to this episode with the marvelous Laura Schmalzel. We spend quite a bit of this episode talking about her background, which is uh, being a clinical neuropsychologist as well as a cognitive neuroscientist. And we talk about how Laura has used her academic experience in both psychology and neuroscience as well as research, and brought all of this to the table as a yoga therapist. It's impressive, right? Who would imagine after a PhD, eight years of postdocs, <laughs> being the editor of the International Journal of Yoga Therapy, working as a college professor and neuroscientist at Southern California University of Health Sciences, who would think that after all that, someone would want to be a yoga therapist and have that be their main career. So we, we go all the way through the academics, the research, the teaching, only to come home to the fact that Laura and her husband have built the sustainable life that nourishes them, that helps them keep their nervous systems in balance, that helps them find joy and that she's building her career as a yoga therapist to work out of her home, probably not going back to academia and research, although you could never say never, but she's really found her place and the way that she wants to live. And I think this is why so many of us come to yoga therapy, because we want to live a sustainable life with the people we love, finding joy each and every day. So you're going to see full circle if all the academic information in the beginning of the episode is a little too much. If your head is spinning, <laughs> hang in there because there's so much sweetness by the middle of it when we really get down to what matters in life and, and what Laura wants to feel at the end of her days. And that is she has found a way to live a wonderful life and she wants to help others do the same through her yoga therapy career. It's a very sweet episode. And then one more thing I'll say is in the middle of the episode, Laura talks about a series of, I think eight to 10 talks that she and I did together. They're one hour each. And these talks are all about where is the nexus or the intersection between yoga therapy, clinical neuropsych, cognitive neuropsych, how does that fit together with, with yoga and yoga therapy? And then also there are several hours on yoga research and how to tell what is good research, what is not good research. Anyway, she and I did this long series of talks and we want to offer it to you on our new Patreon page. So each week on the Patreon page, we are going to have new releases, things that basically people haven't seen before, things that have been in our files, like these amazing lectures with Laura and I, and we're going to release them weekly on Patreon. So you might just want to listen to those because you want to learn more about research literacy, cognitive neuroscience. It may just be something that you are interested in, but if you are the director or faculty of a yoga teacher training or a yoga therapy training, you might want to use that eight to 10 hours as part of your curriculum. And you can show these videos to your students, either synchronous or asynchronous. 
or live. You can be together live and watch the videos and discuss them together. So I just wanted to give you a little heads up that starting May 2nd, we will have a new Patreon page. And if you're interested in the lectures that Laura and I talk about mid-interview, that's where you're going to find them. All right. Thank you so much. And I hope you enjoy this episode. Today, I welcome Laura Schmalzel, and I think all of you are going to be impressed with the many layers of Laura's being. First of all, those of you who are watching us in the video version, you might notice that Laura had a little face surgery done today and has a bandage on it. And I've known Laura a long time. And I just love how comfortable you are in your skin, Laura. I think a lot of women would be like, I don't want to be on video with a bandage. And you are like, it doesn't bother me, but maybe we should address it in case it's distracting to anyone. And I love that about you, that you're just so comfortable with who you are. Oh, thank you, Amy. And first of all, thank you for having me. And yes, I just wanted to make sure nobody was, you know, distracted by it and like looking at it and wondering what it was and forgetting to listen to what we're talking about. So Let's get this out of the way. (laughs) Laura, I want to tell our guests a little bit about you because as impressive as all the credentials I'm about to say are, they're not as impressive as your heart and the goodness of your being. However, your credentials are quite impressive. (laughs) And so I think for people to understand the lens through which you're viewing yoga therapy, you've said that there's many different roles that you have had and each role that we have causes us to have a different perception. So I want them to see all the different roles that you've had. So first of all, you have a PhD mm-hmm. and you did three different post docs which took you about eight years, one in Australia, one in Sweden, and Mm -hmm. one at UC San Diego in the United States. That's right. So after your PhD, you did eight more years of postdocs and you, you describe yourself as a clinical neuropsychologist, Mm -hmm. as well as a cognitive neuroscientist. So can you tell us a lot of words? it, It is. And I don't even, I'm in the field of psychology and I don't even know if I know what all those words mean, but what's the difference between a clinical neuropsychologist and a cognitive neuroscientist? All right. So, yeah, I really feel like, you know, I'm telling my, my life story here. So my first, you know, academic pursuit was that of studying psychology. And I guess, you know, as, as many of us interested or drawn to the field of psychology, just broadly, you know, wanting to understand more about why we are the way we are, why we think the way we do, why we feel the emotions the way we feel, etc. So just, you know, curious about the human condition. And that led me to study psychology. Yes, I was born and raised in Italy. And so my undergraduate psychology degree I did at the University of Padua. When I started psychology, I had, you know, like psychology talk therapy in in mind. But little did I know that in year two already, we were confronted with, you know, thick textbooks of neuroanatomy and learning all about the nervous system and the brain-body connection. And that was really, among all the other things that we learned, the thing that, that fascinated me the most. That led into my trajectory of first studying experimental psychology and then specifically neuropsychology. And neuropsychology is the branch of psychology that is particularly interested of how our brain and our nervous system, and especially damage to the brain and the nervous system, influences our behavior, thoughts, emotion, etc. So when there is damage to the nervous system or to the brain, whether that's a neurological condition or a stroke, how does it impact the way we perceive the world, the way we think, the way we remember, the way we can speak, the way we can move, etc. And a clinical neuropsychologist specifically is interested in those questions in clinical practice. So if somebody has, you know, they work either in their own practice or in hospitals. So with patients who come in with a neurological disorder or a, or a brain injury, they're part of the assessment and 
not always, but oftentimes the design of rehabilitation protocols for you know those individuals. A lot of neuropsychologists also work in schools with children who have atypical ways in which they absorb information. Yeah, so that that gives you an idea of that particular that particular field. My master's in clinical psychology I actually did in Sydney, Australia. So at my early 20s I moved to Australia. That's where I I did, you know, that particular certification qualification. Then I went to so it's interesting. Every time when I sort of swapped from clinical work to more research work and then back to clinical work is that, you know, whatever field I was in, I felt it didn't quite satisfy my curiosity in, you know, a particular way. And so I was doing clinical work as a neuropsychologist and a lot of the test batteries that are used, you know, they're very, you know, there's psychometric batteries and they're like the same kind of tests that get administered to, to different patients. And in clinical settings, oftentimes I wished I had more time to spend with individual patients to, you know, get more to the detail of what was exactly going on with them as opposed to just write a report of their average score of, you know, memory and attention and whatnot. And that led me to enroll into a PhD program where I could do individual case studies in a lot of detail and then, you know, write them up as a PhD thesis. And that field of cognitive science and then cognitive neuroscience is concerned with how we process information. So the neuroscience, not so much from a molecular perspective, not so much from, you know, not so much at a cellular level exactly. I mean, of course, we learn the basis of, you know, how the synapses work and all those kinds of things. But as a cognitive neuroscientist, you're not sitting in the lab with test tubes or, you know, chemicals, but rather we're interested in what processing steps the brain or our mind needs to do in order for us to absorb information in order for us to, you know, again, behave in the world the way we do. And my PhD was actually primarily on face recognition. So how our brains recognize faces. I, I can continue, but those were the two things you asked me to define to start with. So I guess I'll stop here for now. <laughs> we could spend the whole podcast just defining <laughs> your credentials. <laughs> Exactly. We won't, we won't bore the listeners, (laughs) but what strikes me, if I can stop laughing at my own jokes is that you're, you got interested in the clinical, Mm -hmm. you kind of wanted to go over the research. And as we're going to find out in a few minutes, you actually became a university professor. So now you start teaching Mm it and now you've come full circle back to the clinical as a yoga therapist, using all this other information Mm -hmm. from clinical neuropsych, from cognitive neuroscientist, now yoga therapist. And Mm -hmm. and so before we go any further, because we need to tie in the yoga therapy to all these degrees, why did you end up, or how did you end up deciding that yoga therapy is how you want to spend your days? Mm -hmm. Well, I I feel I have to like, you know, to get to the yoga therapy part, I, I want to tell just like how the yoga even came into the whole picture in the first place. So here I was with my PhD and doing my first postdoc and doing neuroimaging experiments. But at that time I had, so in my early twenties, when I moved to Australia and started, you know, training as a, as a neuropsychologist, I also started my really daily yoga practice. I had kind of doubled in sort of done a little bit of yoga before, but that's where it really became a, a, a daily practice. And it just, you know, what's so striking to me, how everything that I was experiencing on the mat was the experiential learning of what I had learned for so many years in textbooks and in, you know, lessons about, again, how the nervous system works. And, you know, to me, it was just like, why, why is there not more yoga practice in neuroscience teaching like what you know to to me those two were so like they they went so well hand in hand to understand the like again the the, the nervous system and our own functioning from you know the the different lenses and so that led to a you know probably like a decade-long pursuit to to bring yoga into my academic career i'm like okay i'm here I'm in a way stuck in academia because I've been here, you know, for so many years now training. I don't want to give it up, but how, how can I bring yoga into this? And so I first sort of diverged my academic 
or my, my, my research pursuit into more, into things that are more related to yoga. So about motor control and what we call body representation. I did a lot of work with amputees and phantom limb pain. And again, even though at, at a first glance, this might not sound to the listeners as directly related to yoga, but it is very much so because a lot of yoga practice is about sensory awareness and interoceptive awareness and all those kinds of things. And even and, motor control, right? Yeah, absolutely. How the, how the brain tells the body what to do. Exactly. And then at UC San Diego, for the first time, I actually got to like land in actual yoga research. And I was sort of hired on, on a grant that was funded through the VA, actually. And I was working with Dr. Eric Gressel. Some of your listeners might mm-hmm. be aware of that name. So while at UC San Diego for, I think I was there... I can't even remember, about four years, I believe. I was involved in a series of yoga studies, some with veterans, specifically targeted toward veterans with low back pain, and then studies with older adults. And I then got some of my own funding to do studies with college students looking at stress parameters and attention regulation and those kind of things. So those were my sort of, to this day, primary yoga research days. But what was fascinating to me, you know, like here I was, working so hard or having worked so hard to bring the yoga into my academic life and and understand the mechanisms in more detail and crunch the numbers but if i was really you know looking at myself really honestly when i was conducting those yoga studies especially with you know with college students i found myself being most fascinated by like observing those students and like seeing subtle changes week by week just in terms of how they would put down their yoga mat and start to respect the space more even though we never told them to subtle changes in how their posture was when they would walk and just also being fascinated by like qualitative, you know, we had all our, like whatever we measured, you know, from heart rate variability to salivary cortisol to attention measures, you name it. But we also had them fill out some qualitative observations and just the impact the yoga practice had on them. And that just slowly started to, you know, draw me more and more back into, I, I want to do something more applied. And that then led to me getting job as a full-time faculty at Southern California University of Health Sciences, mm. where it is a private university in the LA area, which was born as the Los Angeles College of Chiropractic in 1911, and then expanded into a more broadly integrative medicine school. So they also had their primary program is a chiropractic program, but then they also have a physician assistant program and master's and doctorate in oriental medicine and so Chinese medicine acupuncture. And their programs in massage therapy and nutrition and you know, the and Ayurveda, Doctor J. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I felt like there I really like landed like a dream playground for me. And I was very lucky at the time. My department chair Coco Cabral, in case she's ever listening to this, should also drop Heidi Crocker's name, who actually hired me to. Some of your listeners know her, and she hired me to that position in the first place. And I just I was Heidi was yeah. her boss. She was the dean at SCU, and now That's she's right. the accreditation manager at IAYT. Right. Yeah. So they exactly. snagged a good one. <laughs> yeah. Long story short, I was hired to teach foundations of neuroscience and research methods to start with, and I was given a lot of freedom to develop my curriculum. The neuroscience course was four hours of lecture and two hours of lab each week. And the two hours of lab every week consisted of one actual hour of yoga practice. And then the second hour of the lab, we would connect whatever we would learn during the neuroscience lecture during that particular week to what we would experience in the actual yoga practice. So, you know, if we would learn about the cerebellum and balance, we would experience that on the mat and then, you know, talk about that. Or if we would- Can I just interrupt because- Yeah. That was a revolutionary idea that you had. And I, I don't know of anybody else that had taught neuroscience lab in that way. And I just think it was so unique. And I want to applaud you for being brave enough to just take it on a new, a new way of teaching at university. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yes. The bravery, so to speak on my part, but really it wouldn't have been possible if, if the school wasn't on board with letting me try my, you know, crazy idea, which then they got on board because they saw how well the students responded to it. 
And it just became this multifaceted tool. <laughs> so first of all, you know, the, pen, the benefit that the, that the student experienced from actually having at, at least one hour a week where they would not be on their whatever iPads and actually connect to their, to their bodies and to their breath. So that was a benefit in and of itself. But it was also where I understood the value because, you know, I was oftentimes questioning, like, why am I even doing all this academic stuff? But I was, the value that it had in that particular context is that because I was, you know, the neuroscience professor, the students, they would do the yoga practice and listen to me explaining what the yoga practice does with more curiosity. And in a way I had more legitimacy than had I been just a yoga teacher that would come, you know, after school and teach them a yoga class. So the power of introducing yoga into the curriculum in, in that particular way, I, I felt was that yoga wasn't seen as something separate. It wasn't, there is your school program and then you need to do yoga on top. No, we're using yoga to experientially teach you what you're already learning. And in, Could I say in, it in another way? Yeah. Like they're going to learn yes. it cognitively, but then they're also going to learn it kinesthetically. And those two things are going to come together. Absolutely. And I would even extend it, you know, for example, in the research class that I was teaching. So, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't do physical yoga in every class, obviously, but to frame the research class in a way where the, the project that they had to do, and yes, they had to read scientific articles, but frame it in a way that that had to become a passion project. First of all, they had to dig deep about what they were really passionate about, what their purpose was, why they were at that school in the first place, and really pick a research project that felt aligned with that. And then use the research process to to get to the truth of something, you know, not to prove their original idea of what they thought would be cool to prove, but actually really look at things from all perspectives. And, you know, that's a yogic concept in and of itself. So I just found myself, this is so cool. You can really, you can weave in yoga in so many ways. It doesn't have to be just, you know, you teach a yoga class, but you can use yogic principles to teach neuroscience as well as research. And that was just, yeah, I, I enjoyed it very much. And the students responded so well to the neuroscience and yoga lab that then they actually set up a, an elective course foundations of, I think it was called foundations of the applications of yoga and healthcare or something along those lines, mm -hmm. but where we did like very, very basic, you know, foundations of yoga therapy concepts that, that the students got to learn as well. Yeah. So that was, that was a wonderful playground. And can I yeah. just say that I, I don't think any of that could have happened if you yourself didn't have a strong daily personal practice where you were putting all of this academic information that you'd learned in all these postdocs and feeling it in your body and experiencing it. It, it organically came from your experience. And then you wanted these students, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, to share that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I wholeheartedly agree with, with what you just said. It needs to come in order to really be effective and to come through as an organic teaching. It needs to live in your system. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Laura, I think this is a really good place to give you a little plug. <laughs> mm -hmm. I know that one of your goals is to teach neuroscience and yoga and yoga therapy in training programs, right? Mm -hmm. So basically do a lot of what you were doing at the university, but bring it to different yoga therapy training programs, as well as probably yoga teacher training programs. Is that still true? Yes, absolutely. You know, I've had the opportunity to do some of that, including some of your program, as well as Maryland University of Integrative Health. Again, as our common friend and colleague, Marlisa Sullivan, often, you know, so eloquently talks about when she speaks about her theoretical frameworks and the integration of her case, oftentimes polyvagal theory and yeah, into understanding parts of yoga therapy. It is not at all to use the neuroscience lens or the scientific language to replace 
you know, the yoga framework or yoga concept, but just to give it an extra, an additional layer of translation, an additional layer of understanding that for, that for some individuals who do the trainings works really well and gives them a more well-rounded understanding of certain concepts. But I believe it's also a very useful language tool to have to work with, with certain clients and not, not all of them. Some of them, you know, couldn't care less about whether it is the vagus nerve or not that makes them, <laughs> you know, whether they're activating it in a certain way makes them feel better or not. They just want to feel better at the end and then they want to, don't want to know anything about it. But others, I feel, do. And for, for some clients, if within our toolbox, there is an ability to explain things from a neuroscience perspective, it, it, it lands in a way that is more tangible. And again, it's, a, it's an entry point that, that, that it works really well for certain, for certain individuals. Can I also say, you know, for our mm-hmm. Optimal State Yoga Therapy School, you and I did eight to 10 hours on all the topics that you're talking about, sensory mm-hmm. motor, perception, tying in the neuroscience and the yoga therapy for our students. So one thing I would like to say, if there's other schools out there that are interested in, in that content, I think both Laura and I are willing to, to share that. We've talked about this before because we want to elevate the field, right? Mm-hmm. We want yoga therapists to understand the cognitive neuroscience. So like you Mm -hmm. said, they can not only describe it to themselves first and foremost, but be able to talk to doctors, psychologists, and clients. Yeah. So I totally agree with you and yes, very welcome to, to share that. And I also kind of want to oftentimes like, I don't know if I use the word, word, like break the myth to students of yoga therapy, that neuroscience needs to be necessarily this uncomprehensible, complicated thing. I mean, it is, of course, extremely complex if you study in it in, in a lot of detail. But the concepts that I feel are useful for yoga therapists to know, that's more, it's, it's just an expansion of, of their framework. And mm-hmm. as we've you know, discussed in our, the recordings that we did before, I feel the two fields have like such a, a main pathway in common or a goal in common. And that is that to understand how we come to perceive things as they are. And that's the goal of, that's the goal of yoga. And that's the goal of understanding, you know, sensory processing and integration in neuroscience. How, how is it that we become to perceive the world as it is? And what are the different biases (laughs) that we experience along the way? So, well, and also I'm remembering our series now it's coming back to me. Mm -hmm you helped me and our students really understand research literacy. I mean, you, in addition to all your other credentials, we have not yet mentioned, but you were one of the editors of the International Journal of Yoga Therapy, which is IJYT. It's put out by the International Association of Yoga Therapists, and it's a peer-reviewed journal. The articles are now on PubMed, thanks to a lot of your work. So I think another really great thing that you brought out in that series that we did together was to help yoga therapists have some research literacy. So mm-hmm. thank you for that too. So welcome. Little little starting point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Laura, we've talked about a lot of your academic credentials and success and how that comes together with yoga therapy. But more recently, you have decided to become a yoga therapist. So what what made you want to become a yoga therapist? Like that's what you want to do with your life now. Cause I don't, I don't think you're going back to academia. Are you? Who knows? (laughs) Who knows? I've, I've given up on, on, on making sort of statements like that because my life has gone so many different ways. I'm fairly confident to say that I am very unlikely to step back into a full-time research position that doesn't feel like it's my calling right now at all. I do miss the teaching quite a bit and i have the opportunity here in i live in santa barbara right now and i have the opportunity to uh, to do occasional guest lectures at ucsb and other schools around here and i enjoy that very much and i i could definitely see myself stepping back at least part-time into teaching if it is something that 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 feels aligned i love that journey with the students i mean what really happened is that 
life circumstances, some of them that all of us have experienced and some of them more personal have allowed me to actually have the time to do, you know, my yoga therapy training. It was something that I had been curious about or had been wanting to do for probably about 10 years. And I was, you know, just, yeah, through my full-time academic job and all of that, there was no time to do that on the side as well. And then, yeah, a series of events, again, some personal, like my, my mother passed away and that led me to re- look at my life differently. I moved, I got married, I bought a house, many things. And you got a dog. <laughs> I got a dog. <laughs> Named Honey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Long story short, it made like the work that I did at SCU that I mentioned before that was, you know, very dear to my heart. Logistically speaking, I uh, the commute to LA to where I live now was no longer sustainable. So that's why I left that school, not for any other reason. So I was here and was looking for another job and then the pandemic hit, you know, everything was put on hold. I was also applying for my green card at the time. So I didn't have a work permit. So everything was just like, okay, you need to stay at home and you have no work authorization. What are you going to do with your life apart from gardening and, and, and taking your dog to the beach, which I love both of those. But, you know, it also just happened to coincide when you moved your yoga school online. Mm -hmm. because of the pandemic and I'm like this you know this is my opportunity and I jumped at it and that's why I you know see that particular journey come full circle in a way because I started with my interest in psychology to do one-on-one individual work with people and it brought me through this whole journey of of research and teaching and and bringing yoga into the picture and now I feel yes I can do one-on-one work and I want to do one-on-one work again but actually through this new lens, not necessarily just the psychology lens that I started with. And I am licensed as a psychologist in my home country of Italy and in Australia, but not here in the United States. So I have that Mm. training, but I'm not operating under a psychology license here. And I'm actually more interested in operating under, under a yoga therapy framework at this point in my life. Yeah. So that's, that's how that came about and I'm loving it so far. So Mm -hmm. even though you have all of these credentials, when, when someone comes to you and I know you have a nice list of clients already, which is not a surprise Mm -hmm. to me, and they want to know what yoga therapy is, what are some of the reasonable outcomes that you think you can help people with as a yoga therapist? You know, probably saying the most obvious answer here and that it's, regulating the nervous system that's the that is the number one i feel you know magical power or tool that that we have as yoga therapists that at that very basic and foundational level we can help put people back into a state of balance and most importantly we can give people the tools to put themselves into a state of balance when they get out of balance yeah, that, that to me is the, the number one underlying or leading threat through all the different types of influences that we can have. And then, and then from that baseline, of course, you know, we can work on, on many specific things, but, but that to me is like the underlying main goal that sort of underlies any other more specific work that I would do with clients. And do the people that are coming to you, do they even understand that they've been likely living a lifestyle that's unsustainable that has caused their nervous system in many cases to go into dysregulation, Mm -hmm. which is then driving like high blood pressure or high cholesterol or an autoimmune disease. Do they have any indication that it's their dysregulated nervous system that is kind of driving the suffering in their life? I believe so. Some might not have the language from the very beginning, like they might not contact me and say, I want to come see you because I have a dysregulated nervous system. Although <laughs> you don't get that call. <laughs> I don't think I've ever gotten that call. So. <laughs> but an underlying understanding of the imbalance that is there and the, the, the stress level that is there, I think that is quite often actually the case. And I'm obviously still the beginning of, of my journey. I haven't, even you know really gotten around to establishing my niche and how i want to market myself so to speak and how to get the word out there so far it has been quite overwhelming though like 
it has just been from the word go word of mouth and each person that I see seems to bring another at least one or two people and both with my own work and my husband does healing work as well so some of the people we have been working with together and we seem to again without like setting intentionally out to do so but attract primarily individuals who seem to be in some kind of major shift in their life whether that be you know the breakup of a relationship or a divorce or trying to get a new job or the death of a loved one or wanting to redefine their purpose like that seems to be the overarching theme which parts do i need to let go of in order to make this new step and how to most fully step into their whatever their purpose their full potential yeah somehow we seem to have attracted that kind of individual so far i know that's a very broad category at this point um, it actually isn't laura i i think the mm-hmm. niche of people living an unsustainable life who are in transition and want to, as you said, let go of what's no longer needed and create the life of their dreams. I think that's a beautiful niche. And I want to talk a little bit about your business. It's called coming home. And as you said, you and your husband have decided to work together in a very unique way. And I, I want to talk about this because I think yoga teachers who might want to become yoga therapists want to know what people in the field are doing, but also to me, you and your husband, Dave have kind of gotten a little bit outside the normal box Mm -hmm. of what many people are doing in yoga therapy. And because you've had the courage to get out of the box, your business is thriving. You're not just Mm -hmm. trying to do what everybody else is doing. So tell us about Dave, tell us what he does. Tell us how you both work together Mm -hmm. I just think it's so unique and amazing. Mm, Thank you. So my husband, Dave does, and here I'm going to get in trouble because it's, it's, it's hard to define and he doesn't like to be defined or put in any kind of, you know, specific box. But I would say it's fair to say that he does healing work, which incorporates a variety of modalities a lot of uh, varieties of modalities of, of body work. So oftentimes, but not always, his, his work involves, you know, people on, on a massage table where he does body work and energy work. But he's also, his background, he's trained in anthropology and ritual and shamanism. And so involves a lot of ritual and ceremony into his healing sessions as well. And his approach is very, very, you know, individually tailored. So it's really, you know, I'm, again, it's impossible to say like, this is what happens during a session, but he, yes, has definitely a background and a history of working with like this very severe trauma work, including child soldiers from, you know, previous wars and victims of, yeah, severe physical and mental and emotional trauma but also more of the kind of work that I mentioned before. People who have so much that they can use to almost like be lost in it. And, you know, how, how, how can they really funnel their gifts and their potential and, you know, be of service in, in, in the world in the, in, in the way they want to be. And so his sessions tend to be quite, you know, intense and people seem to get quite big shifts in perspective during his sessions. He's very good at unlocking knots that have been there for a very long time. And in the work that we do together, I see my role primarily as then being the integrator. So if people have, you know, a big shift in their, in their sessions, how can I support them through giving them individually tailored yoga practices that they can continue to have that unfold on a daily basis in a way that is not overwhelming, but actually they can integrate it in, in the life that, that they live. So that's kind of the way of how we've combined our work. I think it's so important because I've, I've had these experiences in life where I'll go to a shaman or something and Mm -hmm. get this huge shift. And then you go home and what do you do with that? Like, Mm -hmm. okay, that happened. And so I love that you have decided that your yoga therapy practice is going to be to help people digest this shift process, this shift lean into it, try on the new perspective and Mm -hmm. and maintain that new trajectory. I think that is such a cool way to use yoga therapy. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. And we, we had it in our minds for a long time and it took a while for it actually to all come together, you know, in practical terms. And the way we offer this, because I, I see some clients just on my own and Dave does his work on his own as well, but the clients that we see together, we primarily offer an experience that we call the coming home retreat here at our home in Santa Barbara. And for a variety of reasons, one, you know, to be fully honest and very also practical about through the pandemic, we were sort of forced to just, you know, be here in our home in Santa Barbara and, you know, do our work from here. But we ended up actually really, really enjoying our life here. And we felt very balanced and we felt very, you know, we put a lot of love in this home that we've created here. And we were, you know, thinking about what's the best way of doing our vocation and doing the work that we want to do in the world by changing as little as possible about how we want to live our lives, which is we're already doing that. And we're like, well, one way is to just invite people to join us. And so, you know, there's also, there's variations to this offering, but a typical offering is to have either an individual or a couple join us for at least two nights and one full day, but sometimes three nights and two full days where they stay in in our home. So it is really somewhat of an individualized retreat. And they either, again, one person or a couple, they get to do at least one full session with Dave. And I am there primarily for the integration, but the yoga is kind of weaved in throughout the experience of them being here. And in addition to that, part of the experience are being in our home. We cook all the food from locally and sustainably sourced product and produce. And we have a beautiful hot tub and we have a garden and the beach is only minutes away. So, you know, people have the opportunity to actually have a beautiful California living experience. But the one thing that we're both Dave and I are really passionate about, well, actually more than one, but one of them is that there isn't a lot of in between either just doing an individual session with somebody or going to an actual full-on retreat for a week or two. And we want to provide something for people who might be really busy and don't have a lot of time, but they might have a long weekend. We want to make sure that they don't just come for a session and then hop on the next plane and fly back to San Francisco or wherever they come from or go back into a busy life, but really have at least a whole 24-hour period where that session can sink in and where they're... And oftentimes people, as you know, when they finish a session, whether it's with Dave or with, they don't have the words immediately of, you know, saying exactly what emerged. It takes some time to percolate. And so actually allowing that time and then sitting together again at dinner time or at a fire ceremony in the evening where these things can be discussed and you know digested in a in in a way that's less time crunched depending on day two or day three you know we send them home and i send them home with a practice that they hopefully do on a daily basis usually you know something very small and succinct that they can actually commit to and you know we love the idea and again we have not done this for a long time but We love the idea of having packages, so to speak, where we see people, for example, okay, we're going to journey together for a year and we see you once every season. So once every three months, they're going to come for an experience. Also then offer, you know, the follow-up in with my role specifically, I might follow up with them every two weeks or once a month in my role as a yoga therapist. And then six months later or a year later, they might come for another full immersion, so to speak, or full experience. You can do that, those follow-up lessons online. Yeah, absolutely. And we have, you know, some people that we work with locally, but a lot of people actually from, yeah, coming in from the bigger cities, from either LA or San Francisco. Yeah, any kind of follow-up work can be can be done online. Absolutely. You know, once I've seen this person, I've worked with them, it can be done over Zoom, and then I send them a recorded practice that they can do on a, on a daily basis. Yeah, it's been a very beautiful and often humbling and, and very intimate experience. And it is, it is quite incredible what just that feeling of coming home 
allows people to soften into and to open, you know, and we, what we want to offer is, is the feeling of a home without the baggage of one's own your family of origin, <laughs> family of origin. Yeah. Dave and Laura yeah. can be your new healthy aunt and uncle. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And you know, that's really, and, and I know it, there is, you know, obviously the tricky part to it, like when we talk about boundaries and professionalism, and if we invite people to our home, we need to welcome them as if they were family. Like that's the whole purpose of this. And so, yes, it requires constant work within ourselves and between Dave and I, that we continue to be very open and, and offer a, an open and nourishing home experience. And yet, of course, at the same time, maintain our boundaries. And it's it, been a wonderful experience though, so far. Yeah. It reminds me of like being in India and being invited into your teacher's home or, or one of your mm-hmm. colleagues' homes. And you literally do feel like you've been welcomed into an intimate, sacred space. Mm-hmm. So it, it actually, to me, it mirrors probably the way that it was done in the ancient times where mm-hmm. the student would actually go live with the teacher, right? Not that you're right. going to invite anybody to live with you, but it's really, it is an interesting mix of the ancient ways and then the modern world. And like you said, making sure you have good professional boundaries. And so I just think it's fascinating. And what I I love about it is that you and Dave came to this together. You worked on this for six months or a year. It was organic. You looked at your gifts. You looked at your challenges. You looked at what lifestyle do we want? And you created the business to support the life you wanted instead of looking for a job that's going to pay you money. So hopefully you can have enough time to live a life you like. Exactly. There was like, you know, we met relatively late in life and we're like, there's no more time for that. (laughs) And yeah. And the one thing that we just, you know, we hope to model again and not at all in a like teaching way, but just how we, we, we love to model of how to integrate these practices in, into a daily routine, into a daily life. And so, you know, when people come to stay with us, it is, again, we have a amazingly beautiful home, but it is, we're still going to continue to have our daily life while they're here. And, you know, you mentioned, yes, we have a dog and the dog's going to be fed at six o'clock in the morning. And that's, you know, that's just going to be like it is. You're going to hear the kibble in the dish. (laughs) Exactly. You know, so we're not trying to like, there is our, our regular life will continue and that's actually on, on purpose. And, you know, people don't have to, but they're very welcome to help us chop the vegetables for, you know, whatever is going to be cooked for dinner. There's no expectations, but a, a lot of people, again, that have somehow been attracted to our offering are actually looking to, to get back to basics and to simplify their life. And they're oftentimes, you know, very high level business people that are doing very well financially, but that, you know, they might not have had to cook a meal for like the last three years. Yeah, And for them to actually come back down to a more grounded, simple life is a very healing experience in and of itself and all part of yoga therapy, as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) Absolutely. Like modeling what healthy, sustainable living looks like and how much time it takes to create a nice meal and enjoy a nice meal. Like that has to be modeled because as we move up the career ladder and become workaholics, we start trying to scrunch our meals into 15 minute intervals. We mm-hmm. don't take time to digest the emotions of the day after a really good bodywork session. We're just like off to the next thing. So yeah, you're really modeling that for them. Here's, here's what it looks like. Yeah. And I'm not That's surprised. <laughs> And I'm not surprised that you're having for every person you see, they're recommending two more. (laughs) Do you only go by referrals and recommendations since you are bringing people into your home? Not necessarily, but again, we don't have a website up yet. So, so far it's primarily even word of mouth, but if we don't know the people, if we have not met them before, we just make sure we do a really thorough 
intake, like a, a Zoom conversation that sometimes is, you know, one to two hours long, where we just really, you know, make sure as best we can if it's a, if it's a good fit. Mm-hmm. And so far, it's always worked out really well. Sure, imagine that, you know, for some people, they might come here and yeah, okay, but it's not their thing. And that's, that's great. And you cannot always, you know, 100% exclude that. But I usually, you know, if you have a, like a honest conversation via Zoom for an hour or two, I feel, you know, and we've also had a few people that we had that conversation and then they decided, no, you know, they didn't, that didn't feel right. And that's absolutely, we, we, we only want people that really want to come. And, but that, that has been our sort of vetting process so far, just, you know, detailed intakes and be clear about each other's expectations and, and wishes for, for the experience and making sure that, you know, we're all on the same page. Yeah. I think it's such a unique way to offer yoga therapy. And that's one of the reasons I was so happy you were willing to talk about it because we need many, many different variations of how yoga therapy can be offered. And I think this is a very holistic, beautiful way to offer yoga therapy. Mm-hmm. So let's imagine that yeah. this, <laughs> this happens for you, whether you're living in Santa Barbara or somewhere else in the world, or maybe sharing mm-hmm. time between different countries and you and Dave get to do this very deep healing work with clients long-term. What is it that you want to know to be true or feel at the end of your life? Hmm. And and can Mm -hmm. I say, I ask you this because you've come from this academic background and now you're grounding down into gardening and dog walks on the beach and chopping vegetables and like, <laughs> like real tangible life experience. And, and yeah. I, I'm just curious, like what matters in the end to you? What matters in the end? That's such a good question. And, you know, I must say my nervous system has been much happier gardening and, and playing with my dog a lot than spending hours and hours editing that I must say, Hmm, that is a beautiful question. I think, you know, at the end, um, having, I know what I want to say. I'm not sure I have the right words, but I'll try having been able to find my way of using, you know, all the tools that we are given as humans in this body, you know, our abilities to, you know, use the tools and the practices that, that we have to get to a point of primarily like balance and joy, (laughs) you know, no matter what the profession is that we choose, no matter what the, you know, exact things that we choose to do, but really find that, that inner place of, of, of peacefulness and of joy and let that it's especially if we have the, you know, if we have the choice sometimes, and we don't have the choice, sometimes people don't have the choice. So I understand the statements come from, you know, comes from privilege, but find that. And I hope at the end of my life, I have the feeling that I help other people do the same. And that I find in the yoga therapy work that I've done so far, so often it is just about making people aware of the tools that they already have very often that are free and inside of themselves. Exactly. So it is not so much about making them, you know, like reinvent the wheel or discovering something completely new or teaching them something completely new. It's just like, stop for a moment, everything that you're doing, look at all the things that you already have and use those to find (laughs) the joy and the, the juice of life. And once you get to that point, then sure, revisit. And maybe you want to step back into some of the things that you were doing before that that brought you possibly out of balance, but in a different, you know, from a, from a new perspective and in a, and in a different way. Yeah. That was probably a little bit of a vague answer, but so, so um, let me, let me try to summarize that. Cause there, it was almost <laughs> like a little octopus with a bunch of little tentacles <laughs> going all over. What I think I heard you say is that through your life experience and all the different roles you've played, 
you have finally landed in a place where you're experiencing joy and wonder on a daily basis. And you're, you're connected deeply to yourself and your nervous system is in balance. And now you want to help others do the same through yoga therapy. Yes. Thank Thank you for, thank you for letting me know what I said. <laughs> I don't know if it was correct. I just, you know, no. everyone's brain, as you know, as a cognitive yeah. neuroscientist, everybody's brain picks up on the things that I'm interested in. So the parts yeah. that I was interested in were the ones I heard. <laughs> yeah. but I don't know if I got that right. <laughs> you, you got it right. And I think the one probably thing that I want to accentuate, or maybe a missing link that I didn't say, like I, I felt, you know, I've always mostly been a very joyful person and I found, you know, joy along the way in whatever I was doing, but it was so often I feel linked to such a high level of doing and productivity and results of what came out of what I was doing. And I was just on such a, um, you know, treadmill hamster wheel, <laughs> hamster wheel, you know, an academic, I, I, it really took me having to step out, you know, this like forced sabbatical that I've, I've experienced for the last couple of years, such a blessing. I'm like looking around, I was like, like, holy shit. Um, you know, I was, that was a lot of laps. <laughs> that was a lot of laps. And, you know, once you're in that momentum of those laps, you just don't realize how quickly mm -hmm. you're running. And so, you know, being able to step out of that and find steadfast joy without running it. Yeah. It's been a huge blessing over these last few years. And if I can help other people find the same. And again, if once they find that they decide to keep running, that's great, but it needs to come from a place of choice and not just from a place of, I keep running because I can't stop myself from running. Yeah. To just help people find their inherent, you know, value and purpose independently of what they're doing what their profession um, is or how much yeah. money they make. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's a lovely place to stop. Thank you, Laura, for helping us see this very deep and long journey that you've been on and mm -hmm. where you've landed now. I think many of us can relate to, maybe we don't have all those degrees, but we can relate to that journey of running and running and running and running and, and loving being passionate about the run, but then also finding the deep comfort of slowing down a little bit and figuring out what's important to us in life. Yeah. Thank you, Amy, so much for the opportunity to just chatting with you. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, <laughs> and, yeah. Thank you. So we've just finished talking to Laura Schmalzel. And I don't know about you, but I've spent my whole life trying to get to the next place because then I'll be happy. Then things can slow down. When I finally achieve this, something good will happen. I'll have more money. I'll have more time. I'll have more space. I'll have a better relationship. I'll get a new job. It's always the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And what I loved about talking with Laura today is that she has come home. She has found the sustainable lifestyle that she and her husband, Dave, want to cultivate long-term and that they found a way to build a sustainable yoga therapy business around the needs of their lives, around the needs of their nervous system. And I think that's why most people are coming to yoga therapy and getting trained for somewhere between two to five years to become a yoga therapist, because they want that. They want a life where they're doing meaningful work. They have purpose, but yet our nervous systems get to stay in balance and we get to model what we want to teach our clients. So I just think it's a really beautiful example of a couple that has, has found a way to make it. And, you know, a lot of us, unfortunately, even after getting a yoga therapy training are still on the rat race. It's like we were on the rat race in corporate America or in education or whatever our job was. We took a time out to learn how to be a yoga therapist, and then 
we became a yoga therapist who's still on the hamster wheel. <laughs> it's kind of sad. It's, it's kind of like that saying, wherever you go, there you are. And I just want to encourage all of us to reflect on this podcast and reflect on what Dave and Laura have been able to do, which is get off the hamster wheel and find a unique way to offer their gifts to the world. So if you want to contact Laura, their website, they're so new, their website is not quite up, they're working on it, but you can contact Laura at this email, Laura, L-A-U-R-A, at cominghome.us or us. Again, Laura at cominghome.us. And I don't say this often, but I think, you know, most people that know Laura call her Laura. So if you really want to speak to her in a way that she would remember from her childhood in in Italy, call her Laura. One last thing I want to say, it's kind of a coincidence that this podcast ended up talking about what we talked about. I don't always know where it's going to go, but I have a new 108-page free ebook coming out on May 2nd, and the title of it is called The Gold Zone. The Gold Zone is kind of a modern way to say, get into balance, get into sattvic mind. And the subtitle of the book is The 2,000-Year-Old Art and Science of a Wonder-Full F-U-L-L, life, the 2,000-year-old art and science of a wonderful life. And my book is exactly what Laura was talking about today, having a, a life of wonder, a full life, but the life full of joy that you want to live. So I hope you'll go to the show notes And I think it will be May 2nd by the time this episode comes out and give us your email and we will send you a free copy of that 108 page ebook all about yoga therapy. And the best thing about the book is not only will it help you to live a wonderful life, but I've written it in a way that you can share it with your clients. If you are a yoga therapist or a yoga therapist in training, you can take this book and give it to your clients so they can see what to expect when they come to yoga therapy. It is a really sweet little book that I'm so happy to share with you. I I worked on it for four years. I don't know why it took me so long, but it's finally going to be out. And again, just go to the show notes and sign up on the list and we will send you a free copy. All right. Thank you, everyone. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening. None of this would be possible without you, our listeners, and we appreciate you so much. If you'd like to give us a rating on any podcast platform and write a review, we would love that. That helps us so much. And also keep in mind that the podcast will be coming out on YouTube also on May 2nd. So, All the past episodes from season one and season two will show up as video on YouTube. So you can go back and revisit the episodes that you didn't have a chance to see the first time. Or maybe you just want to see somebody's face in person. Maybe you want to see what they look like and you can go back and listen again. Thank you so much and be well. Our gift to you is to give you a free infographic each week that you listen to the podcast. If you go to the show notes, you'll see a link where you can sign up and find the categories that you're interested in, like mental health or physical health or social justice. And whenever we have an infographic that is in that category, we'll send it to you weekly. Thank you for listening to our show today. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share the episode with a friend or colleague. We're so grateful you're willing to share. Also, you could write us a review on most major platforms that host podcasts. Give us five stars if you appreciate the show and tell us what you love so that we can do more of that. Finally, we support several nonprofit organizations through this podcast. See the show notes to understand how you can help. 
If you'd like to be a guest or a sponsor for this program, contact us at the email welcome at theoptimalstate.com. Welcome at theoptimalstate.com. And finally, a special thank you to our team here at Optimal State. We are truly a global family. George Mantuan, one of our executive producers. Adam Satchel, senior media producer and sound engineer from the Philippines. Krishna Panchal, a producer from Canada. Modupe Abdullahi, who does the show notes and is an editor for us from Nigeria. And Peter Morley, who wrote and produced the music for this show, who lives in Australia. Find more about Peter's work at www.zenmusic.biz. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.